And isn't it great to know that God is sovereign, that he is in control, he is not surprised by anything that happened, and we can trust in that truth and in that reality that our God is great, that he is in control. And I want you to know, I'm not going to preach a message on the coronavirus or something like that, okay? So uh, I hope that doesn't disappoint anyone. But I am going to preach a message from the Word of God, and I think it is very practical. I think it is right on cue with what we are dealing with today. And I know that we read verses 1 through 14 in our scripture reading, but I'm going to zero in on verses 1 through 4 because it fits within a larger context of what God is trying to tell us according to His Word. So let me read again here the first four verses as we zero on as we zero in on what the Lord has for us today. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scripture that shows us the truth. And I pray, Father, that we would believe the truth and that we would respond and be obedient to the truth. Lord, glorify yourself this morning. Glorify yourself this week through each one of us. And may we shine brightly in this community. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a little while ago, I was at Shepherd's Conference at Grace Community Church, and a friend of mine, Ryan Kurvitz, was reflecting on the kindness and generosity of all the volunteers that were there at the Shepherd's Conference. Grace Community Church has 900 people who gave three days of their time to serve pastors from around the world. Some people were serving by handing out food or cooking the food. Some people were working in the bookstore. Others were a little bit less visible, cleaning the campus continually. And still others, at least four young men, who shined shoes. It's kind of a cool thing, actually. He said, Ryan said, you know, it's moments like these where other people are serving us that our selfishness tends to shine through. I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, well, each of these servants is always joyfully serving us, and they have a big smile on their face. And it's grumpy pastors who can begin to feel self-entitled. Ouch. (laughs) You know, I, I thought about that really through the rest of the morning, and I thought, you know, he's right. It's when I am continually being served, and it's all about me, that my selfishness kind of starts to show through. It's hard to be humble on your birthday, isn't it? Everything's about you. People call you, they send birthday cards, they make a cake, people hand you gifts just because it's your birthday. And you know, more often than not, you know what my thought is? Rather than a 
rather than gratitude, my thought usually is, well, <laughs> my sister didn't call me today. <laughs> hmm. You know, Paul gives us two commands which pave the path for obedience in this book of Colossians. Start right here in chapter 3. Seek the things above. And the second is very much like it. Set your mind on things above. Now, throughout the book of Colossians, we've been focusing on the theology of Jesus Christ. We would call that Christology. The first two chapters are on the position of Jesus Christ. The second two chapters are how you live in Christ. The first half is about our identity in Christ. The second half is about how you identify in Christ. The first half is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. The second half is the submission to the supremacy of Christ. The first half is doctrine of Christ. The second half is how you delight in Christ. This is what we might call the practical application of theology, and it starts right here in verses 1 through 4. Raised with Christ. And Paul begins this with a question, or the if. If you have been raised with Christ, you know, in life there are a number of ifs. Would you agree with me on that? <laughs> Sometimes we have an if that states, well, we assume this is true. Sometimes we have an if that assumes something will not be true. And sometimes we have an if that says, well, I don't know if it's going to be true or not. And the context usually helps to define that. Usually I would say something like, well, if there's school tomorrow, and we would assume that there's school tomorrow. Things have changed this week. Context changes it. I have no idea if there's going to be school tomorrow for those that are in elementary or middle school or high school. I don't know. The context usually drives that point. In this particular case, Paul is saying, if you have been raised with Christ, well, the context understands that his readers have been raised with Christ. Generally, it's, that's assumed. It's not always true, but generally speaking, it's assumed. If you have been raised with Christ, and oh, by the way, you have been raised with Christ. The NIV communicates this line of thinking, saying, since you have been raised with Christ. What does it mean to be raised with Christ? What does it mean? Well, throughout the Bible, there is a reference, looking back, at least in the New Testament, to the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection on the third day. And Christians identify with and in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a number of ways. Here's a few, and there's many more than what I have here. This is in Galatians 2.20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A little bit later, he tells the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But then verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See the crucifixion and the resurrection? Keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 6, 4. We read this a couple weeks ago. There's a reference to baptism or the allusion to baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Being raised with him means to walk in the newness of life. And then this one, Romans 6, just a couple verses later, 9 through 12, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Put death, or put sin to death, and at the same time, alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be raised with Christ. It means nothing less than the Christian walk, putting your old self to death and putting your new life in Jesus Christ, or maybe I should say that the other way around, Christ living in you. That's what it means to be raised with Christ. But my question this morning is this. Have you been raised in Christ? Have you been raised in Christ? The question is quite simple. And some hearing this message will know full well that in your heart you have not been raised with Christ because you've never submitted to Him and to His Lordship as your Savior. Others will look at your life and say, I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid. But as I consider it, there's no fruit. Maybe even asking the question, where do I stand? If that is you, let me call you to look at your own self. What is the fruit in your life? Have you been walking with the Lord for 10 years, or at least claiming that you're a Christian, and you look back over the last 10 years and you say, I, I, I've seen nothing. No change, no repentance, no life change. If that's you, maybe there's no fruit in your life because the roots in your heart have never been reborn. The first step to the Christian walk is salvation. To confess your sin, to repent and believe in the good news. The good news is, of course, the very fact that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day. Just like the scripture says. And if you believe this, then confess it to God, and there can be true transformation in a moment. The second step the step that begins the moment after one is born again is the step of sanctification. 
which will continue until the day you die. This is where your heart produces fruit, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of all that God wants to produce in your life. Do you have fruit in your life? If you've never seen fruit in your life, ask yourself, what do you believe? What you believe will drive the way that you live. You see, rotten roots produce sour fruits. Healthy roots produce delicious fruits. What kind of fruit is being produced in your life? Have you been raised with Christ? If not, let today be the day that you are raised together with him. Well, the command, the first command, there are two commands that primarily drive this text, and it starts here, and it drives all the way through the rest of the book of Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, here's the command, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The first is right there in verse 1, the second is actually in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. What does it mean to seek things above? Well, a couple implications by way of the grammar here. Uh, first of all, it, it has begun. Paul's assuming that this seeking has already begun. All right, so he's saying, you've been seeking. Keep seeking. But it carries the idea of continuation. Continue to seek and then continue to seek, and then continue seeking the things above. The idea is to never stop. And this word to seek is to pursue something or to strive to find something until you find it. The NIV, the NIV again puts it this way, set your heart on things above. Let me ask, where is your heart set? What is it that you seek with all of your heart? In the morning, what is it that gets you out of bed? On Tuesday morning, I uh, said Tuesday evening, the, the, the Truax family had a new member added to our household. Uh, she is a black female lab. She's about eight weeks old, I think. And her name is Pearl. The uh, people who raised Pearl said, in the morning, uh, she'll start making noise, just start whimpering, and that means she has to go to the bathroom. Sure enough, about 5.50, I heard whimpering, and I shot out of bed right away, ran downstairs, picked up the dog, didn't toss her outside. I sat her outside, and she went out and did her business and came back in. It was a good reason to get out of bed. I did not want to clean up after her mess. Um, this week, I have been sanitizing, washing a little bit more than normal. Potty training a dog and potty training a two-year-old little girl does force me to wash my hands a little bit more than normal. But as I began to think about that, uh, something crossed my mind. Why don't I get out of bed like that when I wake up to go and spend time with the Lord? Well, 
It's because I need to prioritize the things that I'm seeking after. Am I seeking after a little bit more sleep? Or am I seeking to grow and continue in that relationship with the Lord? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? In Matthew 6.21, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe I could just change the word. Where is your treasure? What are the things that you treasure in life? Is it where you find comfort? Is it in coffee, relationships? Having the most up-to-date social media page? Having an iPhone, fast cars, video games, health and well-being? If there's one good thing that's come from this coronavirus, if there's one good thing that's come from this stock market instability, if there's one good thing that comes from all of this, it forces us to go back to the question of what is it that I treasure? Friends, what is it that you treasure? Well, God's word commands you to treasure and to seek to strive after the things that are above. What is it that you're striving after? The second is quite similar to it. Oops, and I didn't uh, add that, sorry. Set your mind on things above. These are, are, are quite similar, and if we're just reading it at a peripheral level, we might say, oh, it's just restating the first thing, trying to add emphasis. And often the Bible does do that, but in this particular case, I think it's actually getting at something a little bit different. We see that example in Philippians 2.5. It says this, Have your mind, excuse me, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The idea is a mindset, an attitude, a disposition. It might say, have this Shape your thinking. Have the things above shape the way that you think. There's a story about Lou Gehrig, who was an awkward rookie. And when Ty Cobb saw him, he said, look at those piano legs. Ah, he'll never last. Uh, Lou Gehrig was the one who set the consecutive games streak played with 2,130 games, never missing a game. Of course, that wasn't broken until I was in middle school by Cal Ripken Jr. But what was it that made Lou Gehrig great? It was his mindset. It was his work ethic. He never missed a day of work. Let me just ask, what's your mindset? What is your spiritual work ethic? We've made 2020 a year where we are focused on the Bible, uh, trying to challenge you to be in the Bible, to read your Bible. Uh, many of you have a lot of different types of programs, what you're doing. Some of you are reading through the Bible. Some of you are reading through the New Testament. Some of you are, are reading uh, some other selected uh, Bible reading version or devotional plan that you've established for yourself. How are you doing that? How are you doing in that? 
What is your work ethic like? And are you pursuing the things above? And are you allowing the Word of God to shape the way that you think? What is it that dominates your thinking? What is it that you meditate upon as you go to sleep? Is it business for tomorrow? Is it a problem that you're having in your own relationships? Something going on at work? Something that's beyond your control? The Bible calls you to shape your thinking around the Word of God. Shape your thinking around the Word of God. All right, let's come back to that idea of the things above. Casey read this section just a minute ago from Philippians. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. Philippians, and just go back uh, probably a page right before the end of, or right before Colossians begins. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, same word there, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, here's how we do this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace can and does and will shape the way that you think and the ways that you live. But what are the things above then, according to Colossians 3? Well, the first thing, the most obvious thing, I think, is God. Seek God. Matthew 6, 33, back in the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Are you aware of the context of what Jesus said before and immediately after that verse? He said, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. A lot of anxiousness in the world right now. Not only the coronavirus, the stock markets, the presidential election, the run on toilet paper, and the roll just goes on. Okay, bad joke, sorry. Thank you, thank you. The words of Jesus, he says this, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious. If you're anxious this morning, if you've been anxious this week, if you look forward to the next week, and you know anxiousness is coming, let me tell you what to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the things that are above and do not be anxious about anything. 
That is the command that is given right here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Seek first the Lord. Last week, we were challenged. We were called to be strong and courageous. All right, so every time I do a verse like this with the kids in Awana, I, I do this. Be strong and courageous, right? And then all the kids remember, and they love the boys love to do that with me when we're memorizing the verse. Be strong and courageous. You will not find strength or courage from within yourself. You will not find strength or courage from an inspirational movie or from any self-help book. Casey, tell me if I get this right. Strength and courage is not found within you. You find strength and courage because the Lord is your God. Did I get it right? I get it right. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you seek after God? Do you seek hard after God, as the psalmist says? Well, then the writer of Hebrews, he goes on for 35 verses about people who sought hard after God. And then he said in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see a similar text there? It's all throughout the Scriptures. Friends, let us draw near to God by seeking Him. Seek God. The second one is this, the position of Christ Jesus. The position of Jesus says there, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. This is what Stephen did when he preached for his life in Acts chapter 7. It tells us, Stephen said, Behold, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now Stephen had a very special and a unique vision. But understand, when we read this in Colossians, or when we read this in Hebrews, or any other place that it says the same thing, the psalmist declare this, I think it's Psalm 11, the psalmist declare the position of Jesus Christ. Sometimes in life we encounter these problems. Problems at work, problems in marriage, problems in child raising, and obviously problems with your parents, if you have problems with your parents, right? Problems at school, problems with our finances, problems in every single corner of our lives. But the command calls us to get the focus off of ourselves and onto our Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is, as the book of Colossians tells us, the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. He is before all things. He does hold all things together. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the end. And Jesus is preeminent in all things. 
the way to move forward in your sanctification is to get the focus off of yourselves and onto where it needs to be upon Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul has been doing in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. Seek the things above. The implications for this are powerful in all areas of life. 2 Corinthians 5.9 tells us, make it your aim to please him. You know, you will not be able to reconcile every difference in your life. Every conflict will not be resolved. But what you can do, Christian, is make it your aim to please God in whatever your circumstance is. Friends, you can't change your spouse. I'm sorry, you can't do it. You can't. But you can make it your aim to please God, regardless of what's going on with your spouse. At work, you can't change your boss. I'm sorry, it's just not the way it works. But you can make it your aim to please God. And the things that he wants you to do, you can please him, regardless of how your boss responds. Young people, you cannot change your parents. I'm looking at you three in the back right over there. But you can change the way that you respond. This is your attitude. Parents, you cannot change your kids. But you can respond in the way that pleases God. So friends, make it your aim to please him. And whatever the conflict, whatever the problem, whatever the controversy is, you can give glory to him. And if that's your goal, you can succeed every time. This is not to suggest that, that you can pray a prayer and all your problems are going to go away. That is not what the text tells us. But what it does declare is that we can go to someone who is bigger than our problems. Whatever the problems might be, we can run to Jesus. And in fact, that's what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. Isn't that great to know that Jesus gives rest? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is rest in Jesus. John 3, 31, Jesus, after that conversation with Nicodemus and reflecting on John the Baptist, says this, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly ways, but he who comes from heaven is above all. Friends, keep your minds focused. Keep seeking the one who is above. Keep seeking Jesus Christ. Focus on his position. Number three, seek the work of Christ. He says this in verse three, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek the work of Christ. Christ paid the price for your sins. But understand this, that Christ is also working out your sanctification right here and right now. He does both. 
And really, if we walk through the book of Romans, you will see this. I was just reflecting a little bit on, uh, it's a book called The Finished Work of Christ by Francis Schaeffer. It's really a commentary on the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And Schaefer organizes his book in this way. The first part is justification, and then it is sanctification, and then at the very end there's a chapter on glorification. But I want to zero in on that idea of justification and sanctification. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You know what that means for you and I? That means you're guilty. You are guilty of sin, and we know that the wages of sin is death. We see that through the entire Old Testament, God told Adam, if you take from the fruit, you will die. And we get to chapter 4 of Genesis, and Adam died. But Romans goes on. As a result of our failure, we're guilty. But in verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. Here's what some of those terms mean. Christ justifies sinners. That means he makes them right before a holy and a perfect God. He makes the Christian just. God redeems sinners. What we sang about this morning, he buys them back from slavery. That's what redeemed means. It means to pay a price to buy someone or to free someone from the slave market. But not simply the idea of freeing them. It's freeing them to do something else. Freeing them from the bondage, from the penalty of sin. But freeing them to everlasting life. That's what the work Christ accomplished on the cross is. It is freedom. It is redemption. He makes propitiation for sinners. Propitiation is to satisfy the wrath of God. We have a holy and a perfect God that we serve, and He is angry at sin. But because Jesus Christ paid the price for sin, the wrath of God has been satisfied. We call that propitiation. Concerning sanctification, which sanctification means uh, uh, the process of being made into the image of God. You see, we were at war with God. But chapters 5 and chapters 8 declare that Christ made us at peace with God. This is our sanctification. He made us alive in Christ. And he gives victory over the struggle of sin. That's Romans 7 and 8. And then finally, we jump forward. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The work of Christ is great indeed. Keep your mind on things above. The work that Christ has accomplished and the work that Christ is continuing to accomplish in and through his people. Finally this, 
Seek the glory of God. Seek the glory of God. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Isn't it great to go outside in the summer evening? Maybe you're out camping. Maybe you're out at a, just a, a secluded place. It's a clear night, and you look up, and you see the stars. Isn't it glorious? Friends, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Be in awe of that glory. Stand and enjoy it. And after you've stood and enjoyed it, talk about it. Reflect on it. Remember it. Give glory to God. Creation does declare the glory of God. I was uh, reminded of, of an illustration the introduction of a particular preaching book. Uh, the author said he was preaching on Isaiah 6. It was his New Year's message. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The author of this particular book said that he preached on the holiness of God and he did his best to display the majesty and the glory of such a great and a holy God. He said this, I gave not one word of application to the lives of the people. Now application is essential in the normal course of preaching, but I felt led that day to make a test. With the passionate portrayal of the greatness of God, in and of itself meet the needs of the people? That was the question. That was the test. Does the greatness and the glory of God meet the needs of us here today at Montana Avenue Baptist Church? Well, the author goes on to say he didn't realize that only a few weeks earlier it was a family in his church who learned the terrible news that a close relative had been sexually abusing one of their children. A few weeks later, that father grabbed the pastor and said, these have been the hardest months of our lives. Do you know what got me through? It was the vision of the greatness of God and God's holiness that you gave us the first week of January. It has been the rock that we could stand on. Friends, I know every single person in this room has problems. Every single person has things going on in your lives. And those things touch this person and this person. Everybody in your life is touched by these various issues and problems. But friends, we stand on the rock of our God. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. And He is our firm foundation and nothing else. In the moments of need, whatever they might be, turn to God the Father. Turn to God the Son. Turn to the Holy Spirit, though I didn't say that in our outline up here. Turn to the work that has been accomplished for you and for your sake. And turn to the work that He's still accomplishing in and through you today. And when it's all done, stand in awe and gaze at the glory that God is holy. That He is justified 
in the work that he does and accomplishes through Jesus Christ, stand and be amazed at all that God is. Seek the things above. This is the foundation of our sanctification. In the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So friends, I say, seek the things above. And once the foundation is laid, then we begin to turn to the stick structure of sanctification, which in verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is adultery, excuse me, idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This is a little bit later in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new. And then in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, passionate, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How do we accomplish this? We can't just decide to do it and trust in yourselves. Look to yourselves for your own strength and energy. No. First things first. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I want to leave you with this. From Psalm 73. I thought it fit well with today. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, you are the strength of our heart. And when everything around us fails and comes crashing down all around us, Lord, we do not put our hope in things we do not put our hope in other people. We know all of those things will fail us at one time or another, but you are our strength and our refuge. And Lord, I pray that our portion would be you. Father, help us to obey the commands that you gave us to in Colossians chapters 3, verses 1 and 2. Help us to seek the things above. And in so doing, give glory to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.